book of Genesis and chapter 22. I want to minister this morning on the subject that I had announced uh, entitled Family uh, Consecration. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And uh, I'd like to use this uh, familiar text uh, as a uh, basis of ministry. And uh, you need to listen very carefully to what I'm saying. This is really a sensitive subject this morning. And don't go out and say, Pastor said, unless you are willing to quote context and everything that I said. A lot of people listen to me preach, and they'll take just what I, they want out and use that for their own ends. When I preach, I always preach in context with many other things. Amen. And so if you want to quote me, quote me in entirety. Genesis 22 is the story of, of the concluding scenario of a man called Abraham. And if you're familiar with the, uh, the events of this, Abraham had been spoken to by God. God had said to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, I want you to take him up and offer him up on Mount Moriah. And the Bible declares to us that Abraham obeyed and that he did this. And shortly before he was to sacrifice his son in obedience to God, the angel of the Lord stopped his hand and spoke to him and pointed out a ram of sacrifice in the thicket of the bush, and out of that event, if you remember the study of the altars, he called upon the name of the Lord, and finding that God is a God who provides himself a sacrifice. And so the scriptures that we're reading this morning is the concluding scenario of that, uh, of that event. And this, uh, this passage of scripture is the turning point in Abraham's relationship with God. This is a key point. And so I want you to pay very close attention because it'll have tremendous uh, impact upon your life and upon my life as we live out our relationship with God as Christians. You can go into the Word of God and uh, from cover to cover you will find a very specific the importance that has to do with the family. You cannot divorce family from your relationship with God. Family is involved in everything that we're involved in with God. We are the family of God. God first moves upon a man. Then he moves upon a family. Then he moves upon a tribe. Then he moves upon a nation. And the entire revelation of God's redemption has to do with family. And there's so much of our relationship as the believers and individuals this morning that has to do with family until we can truly say, after looking at the Scripture, both Old and New Testaments, that the family is the hinge pin of life. I want to share with you in Genesis 22, verses uh, 15 through 19. If you'll just follow there, I want to read those aloud for you. 
Genesis 2215, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, because thou hast done this thing, and hast not be withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. We want to consider for a moment an unforeseen obstacle in discipleship. Now, God has invested incredible power in the family. In the family is the formation of character. In the family is the understanding of roles. In the family is the, is the we establish reactions to the events of life. In the family we find markers for the conduct of life and how we're going to react in life. And uh, the family, we can truly say, is the reference point for all that we do in life. That we find this out in the family. I preached a sermon some time ago, and I made uh, reference to people who say, Well, I've got an Irish temper. Well, that's insane. God didn't curse the Irish with some kind of bad temper. Just looked down on the Irish and said, Well, there's the Irish. Blah! I think I'll just curse them with a foul temper so that all Irishmen would just have foul tempers. The reason Irishmen have foul tempers is because Irishmen have foul tempers. It is a learned experience. It is something that has been passed down through the ages and simply accepted as the norm and the standard of conduct because you and I learned this morning conduct in the family. Like father, like son, for good or for bad. See, the family has incredible power this morning for the shaping of personality and for the shaping of character and for the establishing of roles. In the book of Genesis, it says, I know Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. Now, family can be a tremendous power for good. We have the story in the Old Testament of Samuel the prophet. His entire ministry is founded in a godly mother that consecrated him to God and before he was ever born, gave him up to God and said, God, if you give me a boy, I'll, I'll give him to you as long as he lives. He can serve you and I'll never hinder him. I'll never say anything to uh, turn him back uh, from the will of God, but I'll always reinforce him and I'll give him to you for your service. The young man, Timothy. Paul writes uh, in 2 Timothy 1.5 concerning the unfeigned faith which was in his mother Eunice uh, and in his grandmother Lois uh, and which was in him. And what he was saying is, Timothy, the thing that is in you, the blessing of the family that is now in your life you receive from a godly grandmother and a godly mother and that's made an impact upon your life and has formed your character and shaped you in the will and the plan of God. But at the same time, the family can be an obstacle to discipleship. Here we have Abraham. In the, in the events that uh, precede 
this passage of Scripture. We see Abraham here, and as Abraham comes to the Mount of Moriah to offer up his son Isaac in obedience to God, Abraham has lost 18 years of his life. God has called him in Ur of the Chaldees. Instead of Abraham obeying, he had relationship with his father. And he and his father, Terah, went up into a land called Hera, uh, or uh, into the land of Haran. And there he, he dwelt with his relatives. He did not obey God until his daddy died. Now, I don't know why that was. Maybe his daddy said to him, Abraham, uh, uh, listen, I got this little business proposition and uh, you can always go serve God uh, a little bit later, but uh, we don't know the reason. We don't understand that. But in Genesis 12, 1, we understand that God had called Abraham. He had not obeyed, but he'd gone to Haran and he dwelt there with his father and he'd lost uh, uh, there uh, five years in Haran with his father. Then God ministers to him after he appears in the land of Canaan and he gives him a promise and says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. He was childless. He gave him the son of promise and Sarah schemed his wife and said to him, according to the customs of the time, Abraham, I'm childless. We're never going to see the fulfillment of God's promise unless we help God out. And so I want you to take Hagar, who is my Egyptian handmaid. This was perfectly acceptable in the day in which we live. It was according to social custom. There was nothing against this. This was absolutely acceptable. There was only one thing wrong with it. It was not the will of God, and it was not the promise of God. He took Hagar for his wife. She bore him Ishmael. And Abraham, as Brother Larry said, lost another 13 years in the plan and in the will of God because of relationship with family. And so we see Abraham at Mount Moriah just preceding the Scripture, and we find him at that place, and he's lost 18 years of his life because he's been hindered by his family from obeying the will of God for his life. Now, this comes sometimes as truth out of balance. See, truth out of balance can become a hindrance. We believe and preach this morning that the husband is the head of the house, He's the head of the family. He's responsible for that. But there's always some donkey that hears us say that and takes this to the extreme and says, Pastor preaches marriage in submission, and so Pastor says, you're going to obey me. Well, that has many qualifications in the Word of God. I preached some years ago a sermon concerning uh, Azurius uh, and uh, his wife Vashti, and he had a little scheme for his wife. He got on a drunken binge, and his old buddies were around him. They got a snoot full of hooch, and he got to feeling his oats and bragging about how his wife was stacked, and he sent messages to her and said, put the crown on and come out in the skinny, and well, I, want to, I want the boys to look at you. And she says, go blow your nose, boo snoot. I want nothing to do with that. See, when we begin to say head of the house and marriage and submission, this has qualifications in the Word of God. And so truth out of balance can become a tremendous hindrance in the kingdom of God. You and I need to take God's Word, and we need to believe it for what it is over in Europe. In the, in the ministry in Stainvite, every young couple or every young man or woman that they get saved in their ministry, there comes a conflict with the family and the European mentality. Uh, every, 
every uh, one out of a Reformed church or, 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 or Christian background in, in, uh, in Holland, they'll quote the Scripture, you need to honor your father and mother, you need to obey your father and mother, and they're quoting this to young men and women, 23, 24, 25 years old, that are married. Well, that's truth out of balance. That has to be balanced against the rest of the revelation of God's Word. But they'll use that like a hatchet. They'll use that like a club over their children. You don't believe God. You're not honoring your father and mother. You're not obeying your father and mother. Well, uh, the Scripture had no intention ever. God had no intention of projecting that to us. And that's truth out of balance. It's like Martin Luther. Martin Luther says uh, many men are exactly uh, like a drunken peasant trying to get on a donkey. He either falls off of one side or he falls off the other. A lot of people in doctrine are that way. They, they, they're like a drunken peasant. They can't just mount the donkey and ride off. They've either fallen off this side or fallen off that side in extremes. And so uh, truth out of balance can become a tremendous hindrance uh, in the subject of the family. It must be balanced according to the revelation of the Word of God. See, we need to understand this morning the responsibility that we have in dominion in the family. In Genesis 2.24, the Bible says, For this purpose a man shall leave father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. The goal of the family this morning is to produce independent children. Our, our, our responsibilities as parents is to raise our children until they are of age, and when they're of age, that they are able to function independently in life, and that's the goal of family dominion, and it's put in that setting. But you see, the Bible is filled with, uh, of, uh, with unhealthy uh, domination of children. Here's Rebecca. She has a son, Jacob. We always read in the Scripture, and we say, that scoundrel Jacob. He, uh, the, that, that Jacob was always pulling some kind of fast one. But we forget uh, that Jacob uh, was uh, aimed in that direction by his mother, Rebecca. And we find in the Scripture that Rebecca said to, to her son, Jacob, uh, Jacob, uh, why don't you go in before your father, Isaac, uh, and disguise yourself with skins of goat uh, and, uh, and, uh, and all of this. Uh, and you go in and you con him. Uh, and he's blind. He can't see anyway. And you get the blessing from him. And Jacob said, oh, mama. We get caught and our daddy, my daddy will curse me. And she says, let your curse be upon me, my son. We're going to pull the scheme off anyway. You do what I tell you and uh, it's going to be all right. And if there's any curse that comes, I'm going to take the curse. And the Bible records that uh, Jacob never saw his mother again, but he fled to Haran. And as long as he lived, uh, his mother never saw her son again because the curse of that deception came upon her life uh, because she dominated uh, her son's life uh, and caused him to be aimed uh, in that direction. We hear about Mephibosheth. He's the son of Saul. And the Bible tells us uh, that a family raised him, and this was Bible's family, and as they raised uh, Mephibosheth, uh, and they and, and they'd raised him to adulthood, uh, there came an event in life that they kept him from the only friend he'd ever had, David. Uh, they lied to Mephibosheth and said, Mephibosheth, David wants to kill you, and they kept him from the only friend that he ever had. And Mephibosheth had to finally come to a place where he recognized he'd been deceived and stand against the people that had taken him in as a child and had raised him and had nurtured him and had watched his life and had to turn against those people because in their deceit they were trying to destroy his life and to steal from him that rightful inheritance that belonged to him from God. We have Herodias. She's the wife of Herod. She had a daughter 
called Salome. And uh, if you read about it in the scripture, uh, that uh, uh, Herodias uh, had a beef against John the Baptist. John the Baptist had prophesied and had spoken judgment against uh, Herod and, uh, and against Herodias, uh, who is not lawful for him to be married to. It was his brother Philip's wife. And so John the Baptist pointed his finger at him and uttered a prophecy and a declaration of judgment and it caused reverberations in the entire nation of Israel. And Herodias became tremendously upset and she sent her daughter in to do a seductive dance and arouse Herod unto a sexual passion and he made a promise to her and this woman prostituted her own daughter so that she could get revenge on Herod and she sold her own daughter's body. You say, that seems impossible. No, it's not impossible, friend. There are record after record after record after record of people that have not understood and of people that have violated the responsibility of family. And the Bible is filled with unhealthy domination of people, and this is only one. So this morning as Abraham, our major tests and failures this morning is often connected with the family. If you take the Bible, you'll be astounded how much it has to say with family. You'll be astounded how much intrigue is involved in family in the Bible. You'll be astounded how much of the foundation of the church relates to the family. You'll be astounded how much of the entire uh, Scripture in the, both the Old and the New Testament is linked together and woven together with the family. And much of our major test and much of our failure is connected this morning with the family. Can you say amen? Here we have in the Scripture a clear declaration that Abraham was brought to the to place when he had to make a decision. See, you and I are, 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 are in a generation that there's a tremendous fear of, uh, of cult domination. And so somebody gets saved and they come into our church and, uh, and the first thing somebody hollers is, Oh, be careful, you might be getting into some kind of cult. Well, why don't you come and see I'd be astounded what it is. But nobody will ever come see. They say, oh, I'm afraid you're getting into some kind of cult. Anybody ever tell you that? Sure. A lot of kids are sitting here this morning. A lot of young people. A lot of young families uh, uh, come in uh, and uh, they have a testing over that very fact. And they have to tell mom and dad, mom, dad, this is not a cult. I'm doing this of my own free will. I'm free to go at any time I want to. But I want to go. I got saved. Jesus came into my life. See, we got a whole raft of kids in here from, from back in Massachusetts. And everybody back in Massachusetts call, calls Prescott, Arizona, flypaper city because everybody keeps coming out here and sticking. They don't leave. And so they're sure that we must be locking them up when they come out here and brainwashing them somehow. And we've got them chained and we won't let them go. Of course, some of them came out and they got zapped too. But much of our major test this morning has to do with the family. Don't you think you're spending too much time over at that church? See, before they got saved, they was out all hours of the night, just came home, time to jerk off their clothes, uh, jump in the shower, and go to work night after night. And when they get saved, they're out till 11 o'clock. Don't you think you're spending too much time over at that church? How many of you identify? You know what I'm talking about? Sure. Oh, you don't ever go out with your friends anymore. 
What that means is you don't go out and booze or fornicate anymore. Well, you're not ever going out with any of your old friends. They get all disturbed and all upset and try to lever you and try to pressure you that you're some that you're some some kind of nut. Out-of-state parents are just really good at this. And Joe or Susie get saved, and so uh, they call home and, and say, Hey, Mom, Dad, I'm not coming back. I'm going to stay out here. Uh, man, I found Jesus as my Savior. I'm going to serve him out here. Uh, it's just so exciting what God's doing. And so Mom and Dad call and say, uh, Look, uh, <clears throat> we've been thinking, why don't you come home uh, and go to college, uh, and we'll help you get a car, and we're going to help you get an apartment, uh, and we'll help you get a job, uh, and uh, we just really want you to go. Why don't you come home? Hello? And so they start the old play, and the family begins to break in, because family can be a tremendous, uh, can be a tremendous hindrance to discipleship. And as Abraham, there comes a point when our major test and failure uh, uh, is, uh, is around or connected with the family. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about the breaking of family dominion. God ordains this morning... Dominion in the family. The family does have a dominion. There is a dominion in the family. But he also has ordained the breaking down of the family dominion. Now, I'm not talking this morning about 20 hours in a basement in cultic isolation. I'm not talking this morning about some kind of kinky thing. But I'm talking about breaking a family dominion. I'm not talking about some kind of brainwashing. I'm not talking about some kind of kinky thing. But I am talking about running home to mama. See, Christian marriage means that you're through running home to mama. Hello? Do you take this woman to your lawful wedded wife? I do. Do you take this man to heaven? Oh, I do. And then the first time there's a big conflict, home to mama. See, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the breaking of family dominion. Your parents are the worst counselors on earth because they didn't want you to marry the rat anyway. <laughs> She's not any good for you. They knew that. They'll help you. They'll also destroy the marriage. See, I'm not talking about this morning a destruction of relationships. I'm not talking this morning about the, the lack of affection to the family, but what I am talking about is a breaking of the family dominion that releases you to be a person before God. There'll be no growth, there'll be no development, there'll be no freedom, there'll be no liberty, there'll be no maturity until there comes a time in your life when you have made your own decision for God and you're living that decision independently of your parents. There'll be no liberty, there'll be no growth, there'll be no development until you cast your lot with God and begin to live for God. There must be a breaking of dominion. Are you listening to me this morning? See, this is a vital step this morning in discipleship. In our text, God had moved upon Abraham, and Abraham had said, uh, or God had said, take your son, your only son. Now, here's a tremendous test in Abraham's life. It has to do with family. Here is a time of the transition of priorities. 
There comes a time in my life, there comes a time in your life when there must be a transition of priorities and discipleship basically is a transition of priorities between family and between God of who is going to be supreme and receive supreme allegiance. Now in the book of Luke, we find these tremendous words concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. His mother said, he stayed behind in the temple, and they hadn't found him until they got out to Ramallah or somewhere out there, and they went back to find him, and they said, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Know you not that I must be about my father's business? Now, there's a place and there's a time for the breaking of the dominion. There's a place and a time when there must be a transition of priorities between family and between God. And every one of us must come to that point. If you have not come to that point yet, you will come to that point, and there's a possibility you may in one sense of the word come to it and have to come to it again. Jesus came to that point. He is in the temple. He has come of age. He has been in the temple asking questions and giving answers. His mother comes to him alarmed and says, Son, where have you been? Your father and I have sought thee sorrowing, and he says, Why did you seek me sorrowing? Wish you not that I must be about my father's business. Now, when a boy came of age in Israel, it was similar to what happens today is the bar mitzvah. It's when they pass from childhood to adulthood. It is a period of time when they make that transition. It's a place and a time. When they move from the parental authority into God's authority, now they're responsible before God. Before the parents are responsible before God, now the individual is responsible before God. Before he's a, he is a, a son of the family, now there's a higher relationship. Now he becomes, uh, in a real sense, uh, in the legal sense, the son of God. He passes in the transition. He's the son of the law. Now he moves into God's authority. This is what Jesus was talking about. And so there comes a time of the transition this morning of authority when each person must function responsibly as an adult, as a believer. See, there's a powerful revelation in the Word of God concerning this. Jesus said these tremendous words. And a man's or a woman's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. In other words, uh, the, the Scripture is very clear there. Jesus is speaking in a generation. In his generation, when a young man and a young woman were married, they did not leave and have a new house. They simply added on a, a room to the house. And so this was a tremendous step. And what he was saying was a revolutionary uh, concept. They are living in the same family compound with the elderly folks. But he's saying to them, and there were many that were getting saved. They were giving their hearts to Christ and beginning to follow Christ. And the old folks were in the orthodox ways and would be very upset. And Jesus is speaking now to this specific thing. You see, when it says, for this purpose a man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too 
shall be one flesh, uh, God was speaking about the independence uh, of a household uh, regardless of where they may be located. And so as we begin to look at this scripture, Jesus speaks. Uh, he's bringing a revolutionary revelation. He's touching lives. They're being saved. And as they're being saved, the, the, the claim is coming and there's coming family conflict. The old folks want to follow the old pathways. The young couple want, and you can see the tremendous conflict. And so Jesus speaks in the context of that and says, He that loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves mother and father more than me is not worthy of me, except a man take up his cross and, and he equates uh, this decision or this transition of priorities with a person taking up their cross. Are you following me this morning? And so we hear, see a tremendous understanding in the Word of God that, that when we move into adulthood in the kingdom of God, God takes priority over all family relationships. This does not mean that there's a lack of affection. This does not mean that we do not love our mothers, our fathers, our brothers, our sisters, uh, uh, whatever it may be, but it means there is a higher priority by which the kingdom of God functions that takes first priority, and I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, a person whose heart is right is, uh, becomes a far, a far better husband, a far better wife, a far better mother, father, or child when Jesus Christ comes in and he becomes Lord of their life. John's Gospel, chapter 2. Jesus is at the wedding at the, at the, at the Cana of Galilee. His mother comes to him, and there's a crisis in that wedding, and he says to her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now what he was saying is, Mom, I love you, but I'm going to do this my way, not your way. And he, he, he caused his first miracle on that place, and the Bible says in that place he manifested forth his glory, but it was based on him taking a stand against his mother's domination. Matthew 12, verses 46 to 50. Listen to these fantastic words spoken by the loving Savior. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answering and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and my mother. Here we find a transition in priority. You see, the real issue this morning is the lordship of Jesus Christ. And you and I must come to the place uh, where we understand uh, that to follow God and to be a disciple, uh, to follow Jesus Christ, means uh, that the real issue is the lordship uh, of Jesus Christ. Here's Job's wife. Job's wife, uh, when he's in testing, she doesn't understand what's happening to him. She's not even sympathetic. She, she doesn't even have the mind of God. She's uh, as far out of the will of God as the East is from the West. And, 
Job is caught in a tremendous trial and a testing in his life. And his wife says to him, Curse God and die, Job. I mean, that's really comforting. <laughs> and he says, Not a chance, baby. I got the will of God. And I don't understand it all, he says, but I'm going to live for God and I'm going to be faithful. See, there's a transition of priorities, and the tra in the transition of priorities, the real issue is the lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, honey, what night of revival are we going to? What do you mean, what night? We're going to every night. Well, dear, do we have to go to church every night this week? <laughs> Amen? Say, so what are you talking about? I'm talking about priority. That's what I'm talking about. See, if you're not careful, the devil can come in in this very place and very subtly, the next thing you know, your own flesh has allied with the enemy of the will of God in your life and has ripped you off in the, in the, in the, in the thing about priorities and, uh, and uh, 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 old what's-his-face said, Dear, do we really have to go to church every night this week? And besides that, there's really a good soap opera coming on that you wanted to see anyway. You say, No, we've gone two nights. That's enough for anybody. Your flesh will become the ally of the enemy of the will of God in your life. And the real issue here is the lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, you've always come home for Christmas. out in Arizona, we never see you, and uh, why aren't you coming? Well, that church is keeping you enslaved, and you're not coming home. We're so lonely. Before you were saved, you were so, so booze-headed that you didn't make it home. If they did, you did, they wish that you hadn't come home. <laughs> but now you're clean, got your sound mind, living for God. <laughs> you always come home for Christmas. Ringing any bells? Matthew eight twenty one and 22. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, and you come, and you follow me. Now, this is a custom. The custom of their land was that when the parents became aged, that the children of the family would come to live with them until their father, their mother died, and that's what's called burying their father. It means his father was dead right then, and he was refusing to go to the funeral. Jesus said, don't go to his funeral. He's not saved. <laughs> that wasn't the issue at all. Dad was still alive. And he was asking, should I follow the custom of the day? And should I, Lord, I want to follow you, but my father's still alive. And so let me first bury my father. When he dies, I'll come and follow you. Jesus said, you let the dead bury their dead. You let people that are unsaved take care of that responsibility. And I mean, this is a tremendous wrenching of custom. Are you following me this morning? 
See, this opens you to the attacks of the enemy of your soul and the devil exploits human flesh and say, Oh, look at that. No, you see, they don't respect mom and dad. Don't have any love and affection for the family. Look at that. Jesus said, you let the dead bear their dead. I've got a custom, he said. And that custom is that our priority, and that priority takes priority over any family priority. And he said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to violate the customs of your day. So I'm not talking about Abby Hoffman and the Abby, Abby Hoffman mentality. Go kill your parents. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about an excuse to be hateful or obnoxious. I'm not talking about a lack of affection for parents. I'm not talking about a lack of respect for parents. I'm talking about a transition of priorities uh, in the kingdom of God. Uh, the real test in the kingdom of God will come as Abraham's came, a test of priority. And the transition into the kingdom of God has to do with the lordship of Jesus Christ. And here is the priority, and this is the test that Abraham had, and it's the same test that you have this morning. It involves family. I want to conclude with the call to consecration. This story is not an outdated story. There's an Old Testament custom that was followed in the Word of God. They came and dedicated their firstborn... Unto God, we find this in the record in the Gospels where Jesus was brought and dedicated. This is the custom of the Old Testament, was laid down in the Old Testament writings. And what was really involved was the placing of the destiny of the family in the hands of God. We have baby dedications. We have ba baby dedication. This is not just an excuse to get the grandparents in the service so we can preach to them. See, baby dedications mean something. It means that the family is taking a position, and the position that they're taking is they're doing what Abraham did. They're laying their family on the altar of God. There's a lot of modern applications to this act of Abraham's. A lot of parents will protect their children. They'll bail them out of jail for again and again and again. They'll lie for their kids. See, we've had people whose children backslid. Just a strange thing happens when the parents, when their children backslide. Just really an odd thing happens. It's never the kid's fault. It's the church's fault. Because after all, their offspring could not possibly be a rebel against God. Hello? What are you going to do, Mom, Dad, when your children backslide, get mean on a devil, mean on a snake, and begin to lie about events? See, how many of you know kids are lie? Let me see your hands. How many of you know kids are lie? How many of you know moms and dads are lie? <laughs> Oh, yes. See, one of the first lessons you need to learn as a parent is when the kids come home from school and they're, <laughs> oh, they're picking on me at school. Well, what they do? Well, they're, they're just, uh, it's, it's unjust. I didn't do anything in here. And, boy, you're ready to go in and just do battle. Better go check the story first. 
Yes, yes. And they'll lie about church, too. Hello. So, Junior, little Jane backslides. Why, in our parental bosom, we couldn't possibly say, Well, God, they're rebels, but we're going to sympathize. With a rebel against God and the breakers of covenant, against the family and the people of God. We're going to side with blood before we'll side with God. Hello! Are you still there this morning? See, one of the cruelest things in all the kingdom of God is the wrenching of relationships and the twisting of emotions to fulfill the will of a rebel against God exploited against the children who often have no understanding of what's happening. So parents, you see, many times will protect their children. Sometimes this has all kinds of ramifications. It's not an outdated story. Back back to Abraham. Look at the look at the story. He's offering up Isaac. See a lot of kids won't decide anything. Unless mom and dad, their parents are going to make the decision, help them make the decision. There's a lot of wives that won't release their husbands to ministry. Keep, him, keep their husband bound up because they don't want to be in the ministry. And they'll bind up what God's doing in the life of their mate. There's a lot of husbands that, whose wives want to serve God with all their heart. And they will not allow them to serve God then reinforce and support. And I've seen this happen so many times that it wants to make you gag. I've seen a woman that wanted to serve God, the husband that wanted to be a lukey, until finally the wife uh, uh, became uh, discouraged and finally went down the tubes and then the, the husband comes slobbering in and says, I can't understand what's happened to my wife. She's gone haywire and she doesn't have any mortals and she's left me. And they become all disturbed. But there was a time when the wife wanted to serve God with all of her heart and he couldn't stand it. He had to be a lukey. See, God demands this morning the right to deal with your children. He demands the right to deal with your husband. He demands the right to deal with your wife independently. We have Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. They offered strange fire, rebelled against God. They, God smoked them. Fire came out and killed him on the spot publicly. And God said to, to Aaron, Aaron, I don't want you to tear your clothes. I don't want you to go out in public. I don't want you to cry. I don't hear one word. I don't, if you do, I'll kill you. Oh, man, that's a bad dude. Read the book. God said, I demand the right to deal with your children. I've judged your children. I've judged them with righteous judgment. Now, Aaron, shut your mouth and serve God. And happily, we find the record that he did. Because God demands the right to deal with your children. God demands the right to deal with your family. We have Samuel. Hannah, his mother, dropped him off at the temple and uh, put him into the keeping of God and said, God, he's yours. You're going to take care of him. 
And you and I this morning need to learn that lesson. We need to serve God with a whole heart, and we need to lead our, leave our rebellious, backslidden, unsaved uh, uh, mates or relatives or sons or daughters or whatever they may be to God and let God uh, deal with them and quit trying to protect them so that the judgment does not come. Many times the judgment is what will bring them back to God. See, this can be a very painful experience. To sit and watch a backslidden child or a backslidden husband or a backslidden wife or a backslidden relative can be very painful. But as the prophecy of Simeon came to Mary, this focused the gospel and what it was to be when he said, And a sword shall pierce through your own soul also. It meant that there's going to be something transpire here. That's going to be a very painful thing, but it's going to issue out into redemption. In conclusion, you see, God wants all this morning on the altar. See, we're witnessing this morning the triumph of Abraham. He's overcome daddy at Herod. He lost five years for that. He's overcome Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael at Beersheba. He lost 13 years for that. Finally came to the place when he put Ishmael out and he quit crying to God and whimpered and said, Oh, God, bless Ishmael. God said, I'll take care of Ishmael, but I don't want him in the house. Out. The heir is Isaac. And so here we find Abraham, and this is his hour of triumph. He's laying everything before God. It's the consecration of his family. Thy son, thine only son, and the scripture that we use for our text is the succeeding events of what God said when that had been accomplished in Abraham's life. And see, somehow we have the idea this morning that God doesn't require this anymore. Oh, this is an Old Testament event, and, and it's nice to read about, but it has no application for today. It does have application today. And God still requires laying your family on the altar. God still requires the right to deal with them and to lay it on the altar. And at this place and at this time is when the word of God came to Abraham. When he had offered Isaac up, when he had obeyed God, when he had consecrated his son, his only son, he made the supreme sacrifice. He had laid his family before God. He put his son on the altar, in obedience to the word of the Lord. Listen to what the scripture says. And the angel of the Lord called to him the second time out of heaven. See, this is when the voice came. Not before he had done it. Not in the midst of when he had done it. But when he had finished making the consecration, then the word of the Lord came. The angel of God spoke to him. The second time, out of heaven, reiterated the blessing, enlarged the blessing, and says these words, Blessing, I will bless thee, multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in, the, and in thee and in thy seed shall, listen, all the families of the earth be blessed. God said, because you've obeyed my voice. Not mama's voice. Not daddy's voice. Because you've obeyed my voice. 
Are you listening this morning? At that moment and at that point in time, then God says that because of this consecration, and this is a tremendous, that the entire plan of redemption is linked to the obedience of a man who lays his family on the altar and says, as a result of you consecrating your family, Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. You see, we like to have the redemption. We want our family brought together. We want our family healed. We want our family made strong. We want our family uplifted. And many times uh, there comes many temptations as how to connive and scheme to bring this to pass, how to compromise. See, we have, we have uh, all the time. I pastored 20 years. And it's as, as old hat as it can be. A wife gets saved and, uh, and, uh, and the husband may or may not start to come. And he says to her, Honey, if you'll, if you'll, if you'll leave that crummy four-square church and go to the first church of the Frigidaire, I'll go to church with you. He's a liar. He's not going to do any such thing. It isn't the church. But the problem is, is he's going to serve God. Husband gets saved, starts to serve God, and the wife says, ah, don't, ah, ah, ah. First Southern, whatchamacallit, I'll go with you if you'll do that. Well, there's proof here in this building. That's a lie. Won't do any such thing. A heart's not right. The place and location doesn't change it. You can move to New Jersey, New York City, Minnesota, England, Bombay, Manila. You'll still be the same. See, family blessing and redemption this morning flows out. All the families of the earth be blessed. Listen to what I'm going to say. Say, what's this all about? Did God want Abraham to kill his son Isaac? No. God didn't want the death of Isaac. But what he did want was the death in Abraham of an affection that he usurped the place of God. I said God did not want Isaac dead. He would not allow Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. But what he did want out of Abraham was the death of affection. That man's heart went out with that son. And for all practical purposes, when he laid him on the altar, that died and he gave it up and said, God, I love you more than I love my own family. And that's what God was looking for. And he was wanting the death. See, Abraham had wanted that boy all his life. His dreams, his hopes, his joy, his pleasure was wrapped up in that boy. Everything he'd ever wanted, everything he'd ever dreamed about, the greatest blessing in all of life. He was an old man. This was a miracle son. And everything he'd ever dreamed about was invested in that boy. And God says, I want it now. You're old, and I want that boy. And something in Abraham died, and he was willing to let it die for the first affection which was his love for God. And when that was accomplished, that affection that had usurped the place that God had to have in Abraham's life, when that was accomplished, then God said, Abraham, because you've obeyed my voice, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you, I'll multiply your seed as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore, and in you and in your seed shall all 
the families of the earth be blessed. While our head is bowed this morning and we're pausing in the presence of the Lord, God wants all this morning on the altar. Only true source this morning of family unity is in the blessing that comes when Jesus is Lord. There is no other unity that comes separate from nor apart from that fact. When Jesus Christ is Lord in your life, there is the groundwork and the basis for family unity and blessing. When Jesus Christ is Lord in your wife, your husband, your children, your relatives, your family, your cousins, your uncles, your aunts, whatever they may be, when Jesus is Lord, there is a basis for family unity. But my friend, your first priority this morning is your relationship to God. Oh, this morning as we're pausing in this place, what a wonderful thing to know a loving Heavenly Father. This beautiful story is repeated in the fulfillment of God our Father who actually gave His only begotten Son on Calvary's cross. The wrenching, the awful agony. God so loved His own. In the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave his son on Calvary because he desired a relationship. He desired the cleansing and the forgiveness of you as a person seated in this building this morning. I wonder, while we're pausing for a moment, no one's moving around, please, no one's looking around. There are people here this morning that have never been saved. There are people here that have never been born again. You've never, ever given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and taken Christ as your Savior and God as first priority in your life. There are people here this morning that you have known that experience and the wonderful blessing that came with it. But this morning, you're far from God and you're miserable and you'd really like to restore that relationship this morning with God. Maybe your marriage is, is being broken. Maybe your marriage is shattered. Maybe you're in terrible trouble in your family. I want you to know that if you make Jesus Christ Lord of your life, one half of that family problem has been solved. All over this building for a moment before I change the order of the service, I wonder how many people would say to me this morning, Pastor Mitchell, I am not saved, or I have been saved, but this morning I'm a backslider. I'm far from God, and I, I'd really like to be clean before God this morning. Here's my hand. Would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand up there where you're seated? All over this building, how many people? Lift your hand before God. Say, I'm not saved, or I'm a backslider. I've known the Lord, but this morning I'm away from God, but I want to be clean. I want to be right with God. Would you lift your hand right where you're seated? I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm not asking you to sign any kind of creed. I'm asking you to make a decision. This decision is between you and God. Would you lift that hand before the Lord? Say, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? I need God. I want to be saved. I want to be right with God. Would you lift your hand right where you are? Quickly, I'm going to change to something else before I change this service. How many? Lift your hand right where you're seated. Say, pray for me, Pastor. I need God. I want to be saved. I've never been born again. I do not know the joy of God's salvation, but I want to know that this morning. Pray for me, Pastor, before we leave this service. Would you lift your hand right there as a signal to God? 
and as a signal to me. Oh, quickly, before I change the order of the service, slip that hand right up there where you're sitting. All over this building, how many would there be? Changing the appeal just a little. There are people here this morning that the very thing I've been preaching on, God, has been dealing with your heart about. And you're faced this morning with a transition of priorities. A transition of priorities. God's spoken to you in His Word, and you're facing the transition of priorities. The priority of family to the priority of God. I'm not talking about being rebellious, obnoxious, hateful. I'm talking about in your heart of an entire consecration. You're going to lay it before God. You cannot solve it. You do not have the key to it, but you do know one thing, that you're going to choose God first in life. And this decision you're going to make this morning, could you slip your hand right where you're seated? How many will slip that up?